Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. Have you ever desperately wanted something and then as soon as you get it or as soon as you achieve it, you seemingly toss it aside and move on to the next new thing? In this episode, we explore the powerful brain science behind why this happens. We look at dopamine, how it shapes your behavior, why it causes you to desire certain things and motivates you to achieve new things, but also why it can be dangerous if it becomes too imbalanced. We share strategies for enhancing and harmonizing with your brain's dopamine circuitry and much more in this interview with Dr. Daniel Z. Lieberman. I'm going to tell you why you've been missing out on some incredibly cool stuff if you haven't signed up for our email list yet. All you have to do to sign up is to go to successpodcast.com and sign up right on the homepage. On top of tons of subscriber-only content, exclusive access, and live Q&As with previous guests, monthly giveaways, and much more, I also created an epic free video course just for you. It's called How to Create Time for What Matters Most Even When You're Really Busy. Email subscribers have been raving about this guide. You can get all of that and much more by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage or by texting the word SMARTER to the number 44222 on your phone. If you like what I do on Science of Success, my email list is the number one way to engage with me and go deeper on what I discuss on the show, including free guides actionable takeaways, exclusive content, and much, much more. Sign up for my email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're on the go, if you're on your phone right now, it's even easier. 
Just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. I can't wait to show you all the exciting things you'll get when you sign up and join the email list. In our previous episode, we discussed trauma and how it is stored in your body. What causes trauma and what does it do to the body? We explored whether the rational thinking mind can deal with trauma and looked at some of the ways you can deal with traumatic experiences in your life. What are the best strategies for feeling safe, feeling calm, and feeling in control of your own body? How do you release trauma from your body and feel safe? We discussed all this and much more in our previous episode with Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. If you want to understand how to deal with trauma and feel comfortable in your body, listen to that episode. Now for our interview with Daniel. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Dr. Daniel Z. Lieberman. Dan is a professor at George Washington University. He's published over 50 scientific reports on behavioral science and provided insights on psychiatric issues to the U.S. government. He's also the co-author of the best-selling book, Molecule of More, which discusses the effect of dopamine on human desire and the human brain. Dan, welcome to the Science of Success. Great to be here, Matt. Well, we're very excited to have you on the show today. Dopamine is such a, a fascinating topic, and I'm pumped to dig into it. Fantastic. So to start out, you know, you you kind of open up the book and, and I know uh, some of your, I think your TED Talk as well with this idea around the simple concept of up versus down and how that can kind of shine a light on the way that dopamine works in the brain. I'd love to hear you explain that for the audience. It sounds like such a simple concept, up versus down, but in fact, it has tons of ramifications for how we view the world and how we interact with the world. It comes about from evolution. From an evolutionary standpoint, there is a very fundamental difference between things that you have and things that you don't have but you need. Now, things that you have are really in the realm of down because when you look down, you're looking into what scientists call the peripersonal space. It's a space around you, basically everything within arm's reach. And these are things that you own. They're things that you possess and control. And when you look down into the peripersonal space, what you do with those things is you use them, you enjoy them, you appreciate them. Essentially, you experience them in what in the book we call the here and now. When you look up by contrast, you're looking out into what's called the extrapersonal space. That's the world beyond your arm's reach. And if there's something in the extrapersonal space that you need, that you want, that you desire, it's not going to happen in the here and now. It's going to happen in the future, and it's going to require some effort, some motivation, maybe even some planning. And because this difference between what you have and what you don't is so fundamental for our survival, in fact, the, the old saying, either you have it or you don't, to our evolutionary ancestors was possibly either you have it or you're dead. Because of this crucial difference, the brain developed different pathways for up and down, different pathways for appreciating, enjoying the things what we have in the present moment, as opposed to going after those things that we need. And that difference and the brain chemicals and structures involved with it is really what the whole book is about. Such a fascinating distinction and the ramifications of, of this seemingly simple idea are, are really widespread. 
They are. They are. It's the fundamental difference between living in the moment, enjoying what we have, using our senses, interacting with other people, as opposed to trying to make the future better. The up circuits are really about maximizing future resources, making sacrifices right now to make things better in the future. So I want to dig into each of these Obviously, well, I kind of know the answer to one of these questions, but tell me about the different neural pathways of the kind of up circuitry and the down circuitry and what neurochemicals are involved in each of these. The down circuitry is, uh, inv- is orchestrated by chemicals that have to do with sensory experiences, moods, and interpersonal relationships. And you've probably heard of some of these, for example, serotonin, norepinephrine, oxytocin, which orients us to uh, social relationships, as well as endorphins and endocannabinoids, which are the enjoyment, pleasure, and satisfaction molecules. Those are all for processing what happens in the here and now. When we turn our attention to the future, though, our thoughts, our brain patterns are orchestrated by one single molecule, and that's dopamine. And that's what we call the molecule of more. So that's really fascinating. You have a kind of a chemical cocktail that regulates the down system and yet dopamine, and correct me if I phrase this wrong, but either singularly or essentially singularly controls the up system. That's right. You know, the brain is so complicated and everything we say about the brain is inevitably going to be an oversimplification. So you know what? I choose the term it orchestrates the activity of the brain when we're in the up situation. You know, it it sort of guides things along. It takes control, but it requires help from other neurotransmitters. But it's the most important for sure. And it's the one that really chooses the goals and sends us in that direction. So what are the implications of having dopamine be the primary molecule that regulates our up system and and impacts the way we think about the future? Well, I think that to answer that question, it helps to think about how dopamine feels subjectively. People who are familiar with it tend to think of it in a little bit of a simplified way, and that is as the reward molecule or the pleasure molecule. Dopamine becomes active when we do things or experience things that make our future a little bit better, perhaps a little bit more secure. And this can involve eating food when we're hungry, engaging in sex, winning competitions, discovering new opportunities. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg. It's not so much a molecule of reward as a molecule of desire and motivation. The same structure that gives us that feeling of euphoria when something good happens is also responsible for the feeling of craving. When we feel that something good is out there, and it could be drugs, it could be a donut, it could be some extra sleep, it could be spending some time with somebody that we want to have a relationship with, it could be working on a project, but it creates that feeling of being unfulfilled. And that gives us the motivation to pursue it, even though it's going to involve hard work and possibly some sacrifices. So this idea that we commonly hear that dopamine is the reward molecule is wrong. I think, I don't know if I would call it wrong exactly, but it's certainly an oversimplification. I think it's much more accurate to talk about dopamine really 
being about maximizing future resources. And sometimes that feels good, such as when we get rewarded for doing something helpful, getting a raise, getting a promotion. And it can also feel good when we're desiring something. It, you know, if we want to buy a new car and we're doing all kinds of research on the internet, if we're going on vacation and we're looking at attractions to visit or hotels to stay at, that all feels good. But dopamine is not just a feel-good molecule. Sometimes it doesn't feel good at all. It, it can make us feel dissatisfied. It can make us feel inadequate. It can make us feel that life is simply not good enough. And we've got to kick ourselves in the butt, so to speak, and try to do things that will make our life better. I want to dig into, into all of that much more deeply before we dive into the good and the bad implications of, of dopamine. I'm curious how dopamine, and, and perhaps this question will start to bring us to that answer, but I'm curious how dopamine interacts with having an addictive personality. What's the relationship between dopamine and addiction? In the book, we focus on two main dopamine pathways in the brain. One we call the desire circuit. And that one is after immediate gratification. That's going to go off when you see a donut or when a drug addict thinks about cocaine or heroin or some other drug of abuse. The other one we call the control circuit. And that one is responsible for looking farther into the future than the desire circuit. That one is responsible for long-term planning. It's also responsible for working with abstract concepts. Abstract concepts are related to this idea of up because they represent abstract ideas, possibilities, things that don't yet have a concrete reality. It includes things like math, scientific concepts, language, and that sort of thing. Some people can be very dopaminergic and they can have strong control and desire pathways. Other people will have a preference for one or the other. People who have addictive personalities often have very, very strong desire pathways. They may orient their life around seeking pleasure. And this can involve drugs, of course. It can also involve behavioral addictions too, like excessive gaming, excessive use of pornography, really anything that gives that instant gratification. There are advantages to having a strong dopamine desire system. If it is pointed in the right direction, it can give us energy and motivation that helps us accomplish things. But at the same time, it can make us vulnerable to developing these kinds of addictions. I want to explore this notion or figure out how we can harness dopamine to be more productive and spend more time in the control circuit. So I think a fascinating way to explore this would be looking at the story of Buzz Aldrin. Yes, a second man to walk on the moon. His life appears as if he has a very, very strong dopamine system, both the desire circuit and the control circuit. Obviously, it takes an enormous amount of dopamine to get yourself on the moon. It takes dedication, planning, the ability to sacrifice present comfort for future gain. But in the case of Buzz Aldrin, it seems like it may have gone a little bit too far. We tell the story about when he returns back to Earth and people are saying, you know, what did it feel like to walk on the moon? And he said, we didn't have feelings. We weren't focused on what we felt. We were just focusing on getting the mission done. 
and they asked him about what does it feel like to have accomplished this incredibly historic mission? And he said, it was just something that we did. Now we have to do something else. It really reflects his ability to enjoy the things that he worked so hard for. His dopamine system apparently was so strong that it couldn't allow him to bask in the applause. It always had to be about what's next. The problem is that if you've walked on the moon, what's next becomes an extremely difficult problem. And that may partially have contributed to what happened to him after he returned to Earth. He started drinking a great deal of alcohol. He became an alcoholic. He got depressed. He was admitted to a psychiatric inpatient unit. He got married and divorced three times. Really, once he no longer had that giant mission of getting himself to the moon, his life fell apart. I feel like that's a pattern that we see oftentimes with high achievers, people who accomplish this massive goal and then feel a sense of emptiness after the fact. I think that's true. The irony is that the guy who's most able to afford the beach house is going to be the least able to enjoy it. The kind of people who are entrepreneurial, creative, have enormous talents and make great contributions to humankind are the exact same people who are unable to enjoy the rewards that they've worked so hard to accomplish. You know, we may look at these people and we may experience a sense of envy. We look at all the money that they have, the cars that they drive, the beautiful people that they date. But I don't think we need to be all that envious of them. They may serve the human race in very important ways, but oftentimes they're very, very unhappy people. And it sometimes comes as a shock when we read about some of these most successful people, this most successful celebrities committing suicide. And we say, why is it that this person who has everything is going to want to end their life? And one possible answer is that they're very, very unhappy. And having this kind of highly tuned, high-performing brain comes at a cost. In the book, we compare it to a high-performance sports car. It's capable of doing amazing things, but at the same time, it's also very liable to break down. In some sense, dopamine is like a double-edged sword. It leads to powerful achievement when it's harnessed positively, but can, can cause self-destruction or a deep lack of fulfillment and satisfaction. I think that's very true. And I think that in our modern society, we tend to ignore the second one. There's so much emphasis placed on achievement and productivity and also creativity. And that's not to say that these are not wonderful, wonderful things, but there's a lot less emphasis spent on human relationships, being able to enjoy the good things that we've worked for and the simple issue of happiness. And so I think that that really creates this bias for us to pursue a better future while neglecting pretty much everything that we have in the present moment. So I have two questions that come out of that. The first is the simple idea, how can we, and I, I personally relate to this, I think I'm somebody who has a very, correct me if I say this incorrectly, but dopaminergic brain, which I'd love to actually get a quick sort of definition of that for the listeners. But but as somebody who who has a deep dopamine, a lot of dopamine in my brain, for lack of a better way to phrase it, 
how do I and how do listeners who feel the same way appreciate life and, and get that satisfaction and spend more time in what we called earlier the down circuitry? Well, let me start out by defining the dopaminergic brain. And it's really quite simple. It simply means a brain that has a highly active dopamine system. And there are a number of different genes that can lead to this. There are genes for dopamine receptors. Those are proteins in the brain that respond to the chemical. And there are genes that process dopamine. Uh, They can be more active or less active. And there's a host of other genes as well. If you have one of these genes or perhaps a combination of them, it's going to make your dopamine system more active. And it's going to give you all kinds of wonderful abilities creativity, drive, motivation. But at the same time, the dopamine circuits tend to oppose the here and now circuits and vice versa. Generally, you are in an upstate focusing on accomplishments in the future, or you're in a downstate enjoying the present. It's rather hard to be in both. And so people who have these dopaminergic genes are going to have more difficulty with the downstate. So You asked, what can you do about it? Well, maybe rather than talking about this in in a general abstract sense, we might take a concrete example from the book. So the first chapter is about love. And one of the points we make in this chapter is that there are really two kinds of love. There's passionate love and companionate love. Passionate love is a dopaminergic kind of love, and and it's what we talk about when we say being in love. This is one of the most intense experiences in life. When one is in love, we are absolutely obsessed with our partner, and we want more time with them. We just want more of them in every way, and we're very much focused on the future. When you're in love, It feels like the future is going to be like living in a fantasy land. Everything is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be wonderful. And that's a terrific experience. The problem with it is that it doesn't last. And and I hope we'll be able to go into this more, but that's the problem with all dopaminergic pleasures is that they don't last because dopamine is only about the future. As soon as what we desire in the future becomes what we have in the present, dopamine shuts down. And for people who are very dopaminergically focused, that can be a terrible, often unpleasant letdown. Passionate love typically lasts about nine to 12 months, and then it goes away. And when that happens, relationships often come to an end. People mistakenly say, well, since I'm not feeling this passionate love anymore, it must mean the relationship is done. It must mean this is not the right person for me. But that's simply not true. What's happening is uh, simple neurobiology. So at that point, in order for love to last, it's got to switch over to companionate love. And that's a here and now phenomenon. Companionate love is more associated with not the excitement of passionate love, but kind of a calm, serene feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment. Ideally, that's the way couples are going to feel when they've been together for many years. It's an intense feeling of satisfaction of having another person's life deeply entwined with your own. And that 
that that's a more difficult kind of love to achieve, but I think it's also a more mature kind of love and ultimately a more fulfilling kind. So when you're in a relationship with someone and you're experiencing this passionate attachment to them, I think it helps to prepare yourself for when the companionate phase is going to start. And you try to appreciate not what being in love will mean for your future, but simply what it feels like to be with that other person. You try and pay attention to the characteristics of the other person that give you happiness and try to experience the fulfillment that you can get by being with a person who has become very important to you. Such a fascinating exploration of the idea of love. And I I think so many people have that belief that if they don't have that passion and that explosiveness through an extended period of their relationship, that something's wrong. But I think you made a critical point, which is that it's simply how neurobiology works and how relationships develop over time. It's such a common thing that psychotherapists see. Patients come in and and they've gone from relationship to relationship to relationship, and they don't understand why it always comes to an end. They don't understand why love fades. And they're simply not realizing that it's not love that's fading, it's dopaminergic love that's fading, and they're misinterpreting the change in the feelings. And that underscores uh, a broader point, which is that any pleasures that derive from dopamine-driven achievement doesn't last. I know I've personally had the experience of desperately wanting to achieve something, and then almost moments after I achieve it, I don't even bother celebrating. I don't even really care. I kind of toss it aside and then immediately want the next thing. Yeah. If you get a raise at work, you're happy for one month, maybe two, and then it becomes the baseline. It becomes the same old, same old, and we've got to pursue something else. A classic example is when you go on vacation. You know, you spend weeks and weeks planning all of the different things you're going to see. Maybe you go to to Italy and you go to some famous museum and you're standing in front of some of the most beautiful art that's ever been created and you're thinking about where you're going to go for dinner. If you're too dopaminergic, it's always what's next. And some people don't even realize that they're not enjoying these things that they worked so hard for. So when new opportunities become available to me, I notice my reaction. I notice my immediate impulse to jump for it, to say, I want that shiny thing. I want something more. My life is not going to be fulfilled unless I have it. And when I got that feeling, I I try to stop and think and imagine, okay, what will it be like if I actually get it? Am I going to enjoy the present experience of working on this project, of carrying this role or this title, or is it just something shiny that looks good as long as it's off in the future? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire, because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So for somebody who is very dopaminergic, how do we actively shift into that here and now circuitry and spend more time there? I think the first step is to recognize where you are at any given moment. And I think that that's one reason it's helpful to understand the neurobiology. You know, people who are interested in cars, they know that if you understand what the engine's doing, you can drive the car better. The same is true of computers. If you have some idea of what's going on inside that case, you're going to be able to make better use of the tool. Now, there is no tool that is more important than your brain. And so I may be biased speaking from a psychiatrist's point of view, but I think understanding the brain is the most important thing we can do. So if you get a sense of what these circuits are doing, the control circuit of dopamine, the desire circuit of dopamine, as well as the here and now circuits, you can begin to recognize what mode you're in and then ask yourself, is this the ideal mode for me to be in in any given situation? So if you are at a party or if you're socializing with someone and instead of listening to what they're saying, you're thinking about what you're going to say next or you're thinking about what you're going to do after the party, you can recognize you're in the wrong mode. 
you're not supposed to be in future mode when you're socializing. You're supposed to be in present mode, enjoying what's going on. So the first step is to recognize what mode you're in and then decide if that's the mode you want to be in. If you find yourself in a future mode when you should be in a present mode and you want to drop down into the present moment, it's good to focus on the things that are being orchestrated by the here and now chemicals. And I think the most important of those are going to be sensory impressions and emotional experiences. So pay attention to your senses. If you're talking to someone, really focus on the words that you're hearing. Look around you. What are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you feeling? And with regard to this metaphor of down, sometimes just focusing on your feet in contact with the floor or the ground is one of the most effective ways to pull yourself out of the clouds of dopamine thinking and down into the real world of here and now. And you said sensory experience. Tell me a little bit more about the emotional experience side and how we can get more in tune with the here and now emotionally. Emotional experiences, I think, can be hard, especially for highly dopaminergic people. Highly dopaminergic people like ideas and concepts and tools. Emotions are a little bit touchy-feely, and sometimes they don't only neglect them, they actually actively avoid them because they feel aversive. And so I think that if you are the kind of person who looks with disdain on touchy-feely things or doesn't enjoy the way it feels, you've got to start out slowly because it can be a little bit intimidating and a little bit overwhelming. So I think just once in a while, you should try to attach words to the emotions that you're feeling because words are dopaminergic, they're concepts and ideas, and that can help bridge the gap. And so you might start with some very simple things. Am I happy or sad? And from there, you can move on and progressively become more sophisticated with your emotions. And of course, while you do this, you're going to be building what's called emotional intelligence. That's something that dopaminergic people often lack. But emotional intelligence may be as important for personal success and fulfillment as cognitive intelligence is. It's emotional intelligence that allows us to build strong relationships with other people. These are relationships that are not only going to give us happiness and fulfillment in our life, they're also relationships that are going to help us get ahead in life, make connections, and have ultimate success. Such an important skill set. And for listeners who want to dig much deeper into emotional intelligence, we have a whole category of episodes that explore that topic that we'll make sure to throw into the show notes. So Dan, we've got awareness, we've got paying more attention to sensory and emotional experiences, developing emotional intelligence. Are there any other tools or strategies that you recommend for people who are constantly in that dopamine circuitry to shift or to spend more time in the here and now? If we want to talk about an advanced technique, something that may be more aspirational than possible for dopaminergic people, we would talk about mindfulness meditation. Meditation is all about clearing your thoughts of dopaminergic trash, um, thinking about what's next, what's in the future, and focusing like a laser 
on the here and now. In a way, it's almost like going to the gym and working out. It strengthens the circuits in the brain that are responsible for processing the here and now. And so when those circuits are strong, it becomes much easier to drop into them. But meditation is extremely difficult. I struggle with it myself. I have a goal of meditating 10 minutes a day, which sounds like nothing. But boy, is it hard to do. It's hard to keep up that habit. And it's not always the most pleasant thing to do, even though that I, I know that it's very, very good for me. So if you do that, you can carry that over outside of your you know, 10-minute meditation sessions into your daily life. And what that looks like is what's called mindfulness. And that is you try to focus on doing what it is you're doing rather than thinking about something else. There is a, uh, a famous Zen saying, when you're carrying water, carry water. And it sounds very, very simple, but the fact of the matter is it's unusual for us to be paying full attention to the things that we're doing. And if we can achieve that, it can lead to a great deal of spiritual growth and happiness in our lives. I love that quote. It actually put a smile on my face. And for some reason, remind me of another, I believe, Zen saying, which is just, when hungry, eat. When tired, sleep. Yes. You know, and there's so many, it, it's so simple, and yet there's so much power in, in the simplicity. And in, it's so easy for us to overlook it and get caught up in things and not do that. And surprisingly, when you try to do these very simple things, you find out that they're very difficult. But I just want to go back to the exercising metaphor, and that is that no matter how difficult it is in the beginning, if you stick with it, you get stronger in that area, and it does progressively become easier. What are some of the other either strategies or more broadly things that dopaminergic people can do so that they can flourish? Well, I think that it's important to not pay attention only to your weaknesses. You know, if we are good at five things and bad at one thing, our tendency is to focus on that one thing we're bad at. The idea is if we can bring that one up, then we'll be good at everything. Psychological research suggests that that might not be the best way to go. We may actually make more progress by focusing on our strengths. So being all dopamine all the time is certainly not a recipe for happiness. But at the same time, people who are very dopaminergic should appreciate uh, their dopaminergic strengths. They are going to probably make very substantial contributions to people around them. They may be creative. They may be diligent. They may be conscientious. They may not be happy. But living a happy life is not the only good life there is. There's also a life of purpose that is focused on doing things that are important. So I would say that to some degree, dopaminergic people should embrace their strengths and they should think about what's important to them and what do they want to accomplish in their life and what can their energy, their intelligence, their focus, and their enthusiasm bring to that task. That's a great point. And we, we have another interview that I'll throw into the show notes with Emily Esfahani-Smith, where we talk about this idea of the difference between purpose and happiness and how oftentimes chasing happiness can make us less happy. But when we pursue meaning and purpose and things that create meaning and purpose in our lives, it, it creates a much more long-term, sustainable, 
feeling that's more substantive than the emptier idea of just happiness? It's such an important idea, and it's so counterintuitive. If we want to feel good, we say, all right, let me pursue pleasure. Let me go out and have a drink or a good meal or buy something at the store. But it doesn't make us happy because the dopamine science tells us that as soon as we get that thing, it's not going to make us happy anymore. We're going to need to move on to the next. And I don't know if your guest used the term, but, but did she talk about the hedonistic paradox? Is that the same thing as the, the hedonistic treadmill? Maybe. Uh, The paradox says that just what you said, if you pursue things that you think will make you happy, they will not. If you try to make other people happy, though, you will become happy. That's great. I haven't haven't heard that phrase that way, but uh, that's a really simple description of something that is, is very powerful. Yeah. If you want to be happy, best thing to do is make somebody else happy. I want to circle back to the difference between the desire circuitry and the control circuitry within the dopamine system, for lack of a better term, is there any merit to, I mean, we, we talked at length about this idea of switching into and spending more time in the here and now, is there any merit or, or any strategies or tools to spend more time on the control side of that dopamine circuit as opposed to the desire side? I think so. You know, in order to clarify the difference, uh, let me sort of paint a picture of two people, one who's strong in one and one who's strong in the other. So if you look at somebody who has a very strong, perhaps pathologically overwhelming desire circuit, this is going to be the hedonist. We talk about that person who pursues wine, women, and song. They want to go out to clubs. They, they love eating good food. They want to have sex with lots of different partners. They're never satisfied. They always need more. They're probably even at high risk of developing an addiction. That's the hedonist with the strong desire circuit. By contrast, somebody who has a perhaps pathologically overwhelming control circuit is going to be the workaholic. They're someone who's not so interested in pleasure, but they're always focused on duty. They're very, very conscientious, but they tend to be a little bit glum, sort of grim. They're never finished with their work. While everyone else has gone home to spend time with family and friends, they're still at the office putting the final touches on the report. So that that kind of gives you the distinction between the two in high contrast terms. If we look at somebody who integrates both of them, that's probably going to be someone who is creative. They get very excited about an idea, and it could be something in the arts, but it could just as well be something in technology or even um, developing a new sales strategy. Whatever it is, they're able to come up with new ideas, develop an enormous amount of enthusiasm about these ideas, and then have the discipline of their control circuit to make that abstract idea a concrete reality. So I don't think we want to say that one is better than the other. It's the same thing with dopamine versus here and now. We function best when we can harmonize these circuits and allow the strengths of one to support the strengths of the other. Great point. Really, really good point. I love this idea of, of harmonizing and balancing, not only within the dopamine circuit between the ideas of, of control and desire, but even balancing the dopamine circuitry versus the here and now circuitry, or balancing and harmonizing it with one another. 
that's going to make us most effective and happiest. But it's important to remember that nobody's going to be good at everything. Most people are going to have a preference for one to the other. And we need to be careful not to beat ourselves up because we are not perfectly balanced. Highly dopaminergic people do tend to beat themselves up because they're constantly criticizing themselves, saying they're not good enough, they've got to improve in all kinds of different ways. And there's nothing wrong with being aspirational. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a better, more competent, kinder person. But we've got to go at it in a realistic way and understand that we'll probably make the most progress if we're able to be gentle with ourselves. Tell me a little bit more about how dopamine impacts or shapes our creativity. Dopamine being the molecule of the future is about things that don't yet exist. It's about things that are possible. And that's what creativity is about. One definition of creativity is being able to make connections between things that had previously appeared to be unconnected. When our desired dopamine circuit is very active, we tend to be very good at paying attention to novel and unusual things in our environment. And it's seeing these unusual things and coming up with a connection between the two of them that leads to creativity. And that does seem to be a function of the desire circuit. So for listeners who want to, who, who resonate with what we've been talking about, who want to concretely take some steps to harmonize their brains, to spend maybe more time in the here and now circuitry, what would be one action item or piece of homework that you would give them to start specifically implementing some of these themes and ideas? I would say a good place to begin is maybe to increase their exposure to the fine arts. The fine arts are probably the best example there is of the harmonization of the dopamine and the here and now. The dopamine is responsible for the inspiration that gives the artist the idea to create something new. And then the here and now is translating that inspiration into something concrete that stimulates the senses, whether it's the ears with a piece of music or the eyes with a painting, but stimulates the senses, which are linked to the here and now circuits in important ways. Now, a little bit more ambitious would be to take up a hobby that involves the creation of something. And that could be painting, it could be playing an instrument, it could be woodworking, maybe it's cooking. These are things that have really fallen out in our modern world. Very few people engage in woodworking. I remember my father used to have a woodworking bench in the basement, and all my friends' fathers did too. They would fix things, they would do things with their hands. But now we don't fix things anymore. We just throw them away. We don't build things. We buy things that are already made. And there are advantages to that. It it certainly saves us a lot of time, but that's not the way our brains evolved. And if we want to get the most out of our brains, we've got to appreciate their inherent structure, a structure that has been built up through millions of years of evolution. So I would suggest that people take a second look 
at finding ways to do things with their hands. We see a little bit, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the maker culture, where people like to tinker with electronics. They make, like to make cool things. And I think that that's a great development that speaks exactly to this need for harmonizing the different circuits in the brain. What a great piece of homework. And you know, I, I resonate with that because drawing is something that I've taken up recently, or I guess, probably about a year ago. And I really like the way that it synthesizes multiple different parts of my brain. And, you know, sports is another one. I'm not particularly athletic, and, and so it, it's not something that's at the front of my mind. But when you're playing a sport, you're harmonizing as well. You're using your here and now circuits to move your body in very, very specific ways. At the same time, you're using dopamine to develop strategies to score points and defeat your opponent. So uh, playing games and sports is another good way to accomplish that. And for listeners who want to find out more about you, your book, your work, etc., what is the best place for them to find you online? They can go to my website, danielzlieberman.com. It's got information on some of the other work that I've done, as well as a lot of information on the book. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all of this wisdom. Personally, really resonated with me as I think I'm certainly someone who spends a lot of time in my dopamine circuitry. And I'm excited about some of the solutions and ideas that you've shared. Thanks so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm gonna give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, -E to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, 
Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.